Well, good morning, church. Uh, I hope you are having a fantastic Sunday so far. And uh, I want to just take a moment, first and foremost, for those of you who are guests today, my name is uh, Jason, uh, the lead pastor here at The Well. And if you are a first-time guest, come on, can we put our hands together for all of our first-time guests just one more time uh, today? It is so great to have you here this weekend. Well, it's a special weekend where I get to introduce one of my great friends, Pastor Dan Lord from St. Louis. Dan is one of our overseers here. He's a good friend of mine. Him and his amazing wife, Paige, love Eric and I, love this church, love you and what God is doing here. And so it's a privilege to be able to take the month of July, honestly, and bring in our overseers and great friends of mine, some of my best friends, to come and bring the word to you. And uh, here's what I love about Dan. Dan is the epitome of character, integrity, and consistency. Dan has a father's heart. He's incredibly gifted. He's an amazing leader. And I could go on and on and on about all the great things that uh, Dan and his leadership in his church uh, has, has accomplished in so many years. But here's what I love the most about Dan. Dan loves his family. Dan loves his wife. And Dan loves Jesus. And so therefore, I know that he is going to bring a phenomenal word this weekend as he speaks from his heart to your heart. And so if you would do me a massive favor this weekend, come on, would you just all stand to your feet? Can we give honor where honor is due? Can we put our hands together? The pastor Dan Lewis. Oh, man. Oh, man. God bless y'all. You be seated. Thank you so much. I feel like I want to go through the screen and give pastor a big group hug, you know? How many of you know, you know, you need good friends that believe in you more than you believe in yourself? That's how I feel about your pastor. So thank you for five of you that believe that today. Okay, okay. I know we're just getting to know each other. We're going to have a good time in God's word. I love that this church believes that church isn't to be endured, but enjoyed. And to, to enjoy God's presence, to enjoy each other's presence, and to enjoy God's word today. Uh, although I may have not met you, I, I was here once before, a year and a half ago. And I'm family to you. You're like, who are you? We haven't met you. It's a family reunion. I'm Uncle Dan. All right? So you haven't met me, but that doesn't mean we're not family already. And a lot of times churches like ours in St. Louis, Grace Life Chapel, and yours here the well, people will describe our churches inappropriately, and they'll say that the church is an independent church. And that's not true. A better word would be interdependent meaning that we are connected and we are in need of each other. We learn from each other, we feed off of each other, and we're better together. And so that independent spirit is not in our church, it's not in this church, but we're connected. I know for our kids, we, we want our kids to be independent, pay their own bills, praise the Lord. <laughs> Come on, how many of you believe in for that one day, right? Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that, but we are talking about that. We wanna raise our children in such a way that as they leave our house and they live on their own, that they, they live dependent on others and realize that other people are dependent on them. And that's the connection that we have with your pastors and with your church as well. I've already gotten some great ideas that I'm taking home. I was filming in one of the, uh, the, the earlier service, I was filming one of the songs that I've never heard it before. How I many know there's great worship songs, you know, that are here? I'm like, we gotta do this song back at our church. And, and there's just so much good that's here. And I, I wanna just kinda encourage you to get a perspective uh, like one when Paige and I first got, when we were engaged, 
we had some marriage counseling with our pastor. And he said, what I want you to do is meet with an older couple in our church and kind of get their wisdom on marriage. This couple had been married over 50 years. Clyde, oh, Clyde and Rena Schmidt. He was one of those guys that, like, brute. He was just brute. Old spice smell. You know, when you hug Clyde, you smell like him all Sunday afternoon, you know. And uh, so we had a good conversation with them. And we asked them, we said, you know, how have you all been able to stay married this long and stay happy and love each other, you know? And they gave us a few answers. And then Rena, she said, well, Dan and Paige, when I look at Clyde, I squint a little bit and he looks just like he did way back then. And sometimes it's that way in church. We get a little too close and we can see the imperfections and we get focused on the wrong things and the wrinkles. Come on, are y'all with me, right? And the gray hair and the loosening of the hair and we can... No, but what we need to do is look at God's church with a little squint and she looks as good as can be, right? And so maybe maybe for you, you're new to this church and, and you don't understand. This is a beautiful church in God's eyes. And to come from the outside and get to see the way that you worship, the way that you value the Word of God, the way that you serve, not only in God's house, but have a heart to serve and impact the community for those that are not maybe doing as well as we are in life. How many know that's what God's looking for from a church? And you're faithful to that. So come on, let's thank God for our church today. Got an amazing church, not a perfect church. Come on, but you can, you're an amazing, amazing church. I just thank God for the team that God's built here, the leadership team of leaders. They're actually a team. Everybody likes each other. You don't find that everywhere that you go, even in business or in education, whatever arena of life. And I'm thankful for the team. There's no big I in team, as it's been said. And what I sense of the leadership team here at the well is there's no stars. That everybody's working hard together, whether you're a volunteer in kids ministry or media team. Or I was watching the, the, the young lady with the camera today for online. She's like ninja down here diving. You know, she, and I looked over, she was singing from her heart to the Lord while she's like getting this crazy angle. So everybody enjoying that on vacation, right? Like it's a team, it's a team, it's a team. Whether a paid pastor or unpaid volunteer, one big team here. And I, I know that God does great things when we humble ourselves and work together. Amen. Some of you are like, I'm not amening because I'm not on a team. Okay, we'll start serving around here. And then you, 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 can be, you can be a part of it. And, of course, your, your pastors, um, they're examples. You may not know this, but they could travel every weekend if they decided to and preach in churches because they're great communicators of God's Word. They're like theologians. How many of you appreciate that about your pastors? Like, they don't just know the Word. They, like, understand all this stuff. And I'm sorry if you came expecting that. Dan's just an encourager. Right, so I don't have a bunch of that kind of stuff, but what I love about them is when I listen to them teach, uh, they take these big truths of God's Word and principles, and they understand culture and society and what's wrong in our world. They break it down in a way that can help me in my everyday life. They're not just like, as it said, so heavenly minded, no earthly good. No, they're really smart, but they're great pastors, and they love you. And every time we talk to them, they're talking good about you. And you say, was well, that a big deal? It actually is, because there's some pastors that don't really love their church, and they really love you. And uh, I know they're not here today, but we can put our hands together. Come on, let's thank God for faithful, determined pastors. And I, I want to remind you of one more thing. I know you're like, are you going to preach? I told you I'm Uncle Dan. Pastor's not here, so I can do what I want today. But I, I wrote down one more thing I want to remind you of, and I forgot to do this earlier. You are an example, church. So today, there are pastors that are watching online around the United States, Canada, Mexico, 
I know this church's influence. And they're paying attention to how you worship. And they're paying attention to the worship team and what's being said from the platform and the vision that's being fulfilled. They're watching your church and they're modeling. So I want to encourage you, do it right well because they're paying attention to you. And that's, that's that comes with responsibility. I'm not saying that today to kind of pump you up or just give you some false sense of who you are as a church, but it's true. So can we welcome all the pastors that are watching today? God bless you. We hope it encourages you today as you build your church. Well, I bring greetings from my family. I've got five kiddos. My wife, Paige, as Pastor mentioned, there they are. They're huge on the screen. There we go. They're not that big in real life, in case you're wondering. So this is my wife, Paige. We've been married 25 years, and she's awesome. She's our big cheerleader at home. And then over there is Tate the Great, just graduated from high school. This is Super Cooper. He's 16, learning to drive. Pray for me, everybody. <laughs> and then we got Kinley Joy Joy right there. She's the glue of the family. And then Graham the Man, I call him. He's our big athlete. And then Ellie Jewel, the treasure, the caboose of our family. So a little picture of our kids. I wish you could get to know them all. They're all totally different and amazing. So... All right, well, grab your Bibles. We're going to jump into God's Word. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's jump into God's Word today. I want to speak a message, not to your brain, but to your heart, entitled Living on Mission. Living on Mission. Would you say that with me? Living. Okay, I'm, unfortunately, I'm comparing you to the earlier gathering, and they did a lot louder. So let's do that all together. One, two, three. Living on Mission. Very good, very good. So a little question I have for you to kind of get into God's Word today. Have you ever known a family that when you saw their children or you saw like a cousin, you looked at them and you could tell because the genetics was so strong in that family, you're like, you're a blank, and you'd say their last name. How many of you know a family like that? For me growing up, it was the Cocos family. The Cocos family owned a big plumbing company. Two uh, brothers got together, Cocos Plumbing, and they had this big plumbing company, green vans all over the place. And but one of the brothers, there were several brothers born in this family and one sister. One of the brothers had gotten saved in our church, Jim Kokus. And Jim was a big part of our church family, one of my Sunday school teachers when I was a kid and ended up working for him in high school. And, and, and what would happen is I'd be in a hardware store somewhere and I would see one of Jim's nieces and nephews who I had never met. But because the genetics in that family were so strong, you'd be like, are you a Kokus? You know, and they look back, are you a stalker? You know. It's just kind of one of those atmospheres, you know. You could just tell. They all had the same kind of olive skin, dark skin color, their hair color, their eyebrows. They had the unibrow. No, I'm joking. They, it wasn't quite that. They shaved it, you know. <laughs> okay, okay. So how many of you know a family like I'm talking about like that? And maybe you've heard the expression, like father, you already know it. What are we talking about when we say those kinds of things, when we see that in a family? We're saying, like, this kid fits in a family and is part of something bigger than themselves, they actually look like the parents. We even see it in, in attributes and traits. There's sometimes our kids will say things, and the way they say it and what they say, I'm like, whoa, scary. How many of you have experienced that as a parent? You're like, well, they're my kid for sure. Pray for you, you know. What are we seeing there? We're seeing the attributes of the father in the son. And so it should be of us that as we live our daily lives, our everyday ordinary lives, that people ought to see us in a grocery store or in the hardware store and say, are you a kid of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Is, do you belong in the Heavenly Father's family? Oh, I know you were adopted by him and you don't have the same skin color as him, but you have the same mannerisms as your father. 
that would be our hope is that if we're living on mission, we should be accused of that every once in a while. Are y'all tracking with me today? We need to be like, like the Cocos family. Think about what Jesus said. He went on the first Christian youth camp. He forgot to tell his parents. Three days in Jerusalem, they did not sign the waiver forms. They're looking for him. And his response is this. Let's read it, Luke 2, 49. And he said to them, why do you seek me? Why are you looking for me everywhere? Did you not know that I must be about my what? My father's business. Then Jesus' life was put on trial. Pontius Pilate has Jesus on trial. He's questioning him. He's examining his life. And he asked him, are you a king then? John 18, 37. Are you who people say you are? And Jesus answered, verse 37, you say rightly that I am a king. He's like, you got it right. I'm a king's kid. For this cause I was born. And for this what? Cause I have come into the world. He's not saying I'm here on accident. I'm here on purpose. I have a mission. I was put here for a cause. By the way, it's the same for every person that's hearing this message today. There are no accidents. You didn't just, oh, it just happened to pop out. My parents told me I was an accident, unplanned. No, you were planned by God. He saw you, he knew you, and he put you here for, for this season of planet Earth. And so Jesus says, I was put on this planet for this purpose. And then he says, I've come into the world, and look what he says, his purpose is, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So if you know a little bit more about the gospels, you know that Jesus said many things like this. I only say to you what I hear the father say to me. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. He says, I do nothing of my own accord. I do nothing on my own. He said, my food, my substance is to do the will of my father who sent me. Now I know for me, my food is Chick-fil-A that lemonade shake they came out with? Hello. You know, what Jesus was saying is my substance, what feeds me, what drives me, what keeps me hungry is I've got a purpose from my Father. And I'm here to do His will, not my own will. That's really powerful. It's really powerful when you, when you pause and think about it. In John 5, 19, He says, unless, unless, you see, unless I see the Father doing it, I don't do it. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does. I wonder if our lives were put on trial, would we be found guilty of behaving and living on mission or not? I sure hope that we're found guilty of living on purpose, right? The reason why Jesus put us here. Paul then continues the same theme about witnesses to the truth in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. He says, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. And he says the church, God's household is the church of who? Of the living God. And he describes the church in this way. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So look at it here. Let's, let's build. Jesus says, I came as a witness to the truth. Paul says the church is the pillar of truth, the bedrock of truth in a community. So you and I are the church. So we're on the same mission that Jesus came for to be a witness to the truth. We're like, we are building the pillar of truth in our community. 
in a world that says there is no truth. Everyone has their own. I know your pastor's done a great job of dismantling that big lie. I don't have time to get into that today. He's done a great job of that. In a world that says there's no truth, God says, no, the mission of the church is to make sure the world knows there's a way, there's a truth, and there is life that's only found where? In one person, and his name is Jesus. And so when we join together as the church, we fulfill the mission of why Jesus came, and we then can live on mission. Is that your your hope that you would be on mission? I know it is. You wouldn't be at church today if you were just, you know, coming to, you know, hang out. We want to be on mission living for Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you some markers today to know, am I living on mission or not? I've got seven of them. You say, why so many? Well, I know what God's going to do. He's going to speak to each one of us. There's probably one of these areas he's going to be like, that's yours. How many of you know that feeling in church? You're like, did she tell the pastor? Did you tell him this week, right? There's usually one of the areas that we can grow in. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. I said, I press on because I haven't yet hit the mark. I'm reaching for the mark, right? So none of us have arrived yet. We're all on our way. We're all growing. Come on, tell your neighbor. We're still growing. I'm still growing, right? Come on, we're not finished yet. Under construction. I'm under construction. One of my coaches in high school, well, I'd start, let me go back. Had different, two different kinds of coaches. One coach just yells and cusses at you and tells you what you did wrong. How many of you know that coach? Don't say their name. The other coach actually tells you what you need to do to improve and how you can get better and believes in you and challenges you to, you know, kind of raise your, your game. One of those coaches, my junior of high school, we were having a scrimmage, played a lot of soccer. And a scrimmage, in case you don't know, is when you actually get to pretend you're playing the game. And so we're done with all the drills and done with all the running and exercise. Now it's just time to play soccer. And so I scored a goal in that practice. And if you don't know about soccer, we have grand celebrations after we score. There's the big airplane. Guys will run and do the airplane. Guys rip their shirts off. Some people run and dive at the corner flag. I mean, it's, it looks ridiculous, okay? I'll give you that. And on this day, I scored, and I started into my big celebration. And my coach, Mr. Fergali, he says, Lord, get over here. And I'm like, I'm awesome. Why am I in trouble? I get over there, and he says, Everybody knows you can score with your right foot. But can you score with your left foot? I was like, oh, game on, okay. He says, when you go to college, they'll just say, play him to his right. He doesn't have a left foot. And you won't be scoring any goals in college. Well, guess what I went home and did? I found a left foot. I can still kick pretty good at 49 years old with my left foot to this day. I got my my dad's work lights out, got in the backyard, and we have what there's like split-level homes in St. Louis, and and the front yard might be up here, and then the backyard, your basement, you got a big concrete wall. And all night, late into the night, I was out there kicking with my left foot, half the time kicking the ground, right? Half the time kicking the ball. But I was determined, why? Because I had a good coach that set the mark a little higher. Right, so that's what I've come today to do is just remind us the marks up here. If we're missing it, let's get on mark today, man. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to find these seven markers right here in Psalm 84. So if you turn over there in your Bible today, or if you're using your phone and and using one of the Bible apps, let's look at Psalm 84. We're going to read verses four through seven, and I want you to read this first verse, verse four, out loud with me, a little enthusiasm today. Let's read it. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you, Selah. That word Selah means to stop, to pause, to meditate. Sometimes I'm reading my Bible. How many of you just read right through the stop signs? 
You go for a while, and you're like, I don't even know what I just read. God's like, I don't want you to do that. Stop thinking about it. So here's what I want us to do. Let's reread that verse, and let's think about it as we read it. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with, with pools. Beautiful picture. Verse 7, they go from what? From strength to strength till each appears before God and Zion. All right, here's the first marker of someone living on mission. Number one, number one, any guesses? They are devoted to God's house. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Not those who have a casual relationship with God's house, but blessed are those who dwell in God's house. In the Israelites' day, they had about nine different phrases to describe the word dwell, just like we would take the word commitment, and we'd say that person's committed or devoted or dedicated. There was kind of some different versions, and one of the versions was this little phrase, to sit down. Now, right now, y'all are sitting down. I'm happy for you. Got some leg room today, you know. I have in my house a lazy boy recliner. Like it's actually brand name recliner. It is what it says. One truth I know about that chair is when I sit down, it's much harder to get back up out of that chair. And before I sit down in that chair, I have made plans about sitting down in that chair. First one is I'm going to have a cold beverage. And I'm going to prepare that beverage because I don't want to get back up for refill anytime soon after sitting down. Not only do I have that plan, but I plan to have the remote back in my hand. Whatever child of mine is confused to think it's their remote, it is not their remote. And I call for the remote, right? And, and then I, I get it cranked up. My daughter Ellie sometimes... She knows dad's worked hard and it's kind of more at nighttime. She'll bring a blanket over. And my little nine-year-old, how many know after your nine-year-old tucks you in, there's no getting up? <laughs> Oftentimes she'll jump in my lap. I'm in no hurry. At that point, I don't want to get up out of that chair. And the longer I'm there, guess what? It gets even more difficult to get up out of that chair. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's the sofa for you. You got that special spot. And that's the way it should be with the house of God that we've experienced the blessing and the favor of God's house. We've heard the teaching of the word of God. We've been in worship and experienced God's presence. Come on, we, we, we get in our table group and we're experiencing the friendship and fellowship of one another, the breaking of bread, eating together, sharing each, with each other's strength and weaknesses. Come on, we're better because of it. And so we're like, hey, it's hard to get me out of here. That's how God says our relationship should be with his house. And here's what I want to say to you. Some of you, you made it here today, but it's always a question mark for you whether or not you're going to be part of church. And if you have a spouse, you wake up and you're like, hey, are we going today? I want to encourage you to take the question mark off and become committed to God's house. It's not blessed, happy, fortunate are those that have a casual friendship with God's house. Blessed are those that sit in God's house, that dwell in God's house, that are planted in God's house. See, we become what we commit our lives to. Low level of commitment, low level of blessing. Low level of work, your business won't do well. Low level of investment in a relationship, your marriage, marriage isn't going to do well. The higher your level of commitment, the, better, the bigger the blessing that's going to come from that commitment. And so it is with God's house. And I want to encourage you, we do a little thing in our church a couple times a year. We call it the seven-week challenge. It's real simple. 
You just make a commitment in your heart to the Lord. Lord, I'm not going to make any other important plans in my life for seven weeks. And I'm not, I'm going to take the question mark off of God's house on the weekend. I'm going to give you my time first. And I'm going to know that if I give you the first day of my week, you'll bless the other six days of my week. How many know it's true with our time, our money, when we tithe, we put God first, we bring back the tithe. Better 90% in my hands after 10% have been put in his hands. Just like God blesses your money and gives you peace in your home, if in your finances, he'll bless your time. You'll find that the other six days of the week are better, more productive. Why? Because you prioritize what he prioritized. You remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You say, well, what if I have a family member pass away? What if my mom's in the hospital? Well, okay, all those things obviously would take over and kind of interrupt your seven weeks. But what we're saying is don't make plans for brunch and sleeping in. Don't make plans for golf. Don't make plans for fish. Like, just try it and see if your life's not better. Amen? I know some of you are going to do it this week. All right, here's the second marker. They're full of praise and thanksgiving. Verse 4 says, they're ever praising you. I hate this one. Because I know right there God's got me. It's easy to get down in the mouth. Life happens. Situations happen. And we... We quickly go to negativity coming out of our mouth. I know what, what God got me of. I'll share it with you. It might get you. I felt like, well, I'm not being negative, God. Well, absence of praise and absence of negativity doesn't equal praise. So just because I'm being mute on it doesn't mean I'm praising. Isn't that terrible? Come on. Anybody that hadn't tried Christianity doesn't understand how hard it is. The mouth, the hardest member of the body to control. I've experienced, how many of you have experienced that? It says they're ever praising you. What a hard standard to live up to. I know when I was a kid, though, I would watch people sing. There was this little song we would sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Anybody know that one? Oh, let's sing it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I would look up at Mr. Mr. McCullough. And I would think, he's frowning so bad, I don't want that joy. <laughs> How many of you know a Christian like that? Sour Christian, like they just, they ate a lemon before they came to church. You know, praise the Lord. They're like, praise the Lord. No, no, look, we, we, look, we, <laughs> ah, we're having fun. The truth is, when you and I start to praise God, even though things aren't perfect, what happens is the joy of the Lord is my strength. What happens is when we praise, God brings us strength into our lives. Come on, don't wait till things are perfect to start praising him. Here's what Jesus said. You can't both get good water and bad water out of the same spring. So when our mouths are full of negativity, yeah, it can be reality, but it can also be you know, we don't need to be talking about that right now. We don't need to keep rehearsing and replaying the bad scenario out loud again. What he says is, hey, look, you can't have both good and bad water. And a lot of us are expecting the good, the fruit of our lips to be good while we're still talking bad. Just if, if, if you're in trouble, just say, help me, Jesus, right? We're all, we're all kind of in trouble on that one. All right, number three, they walk, they are humble and walk in God's strength. Verse five, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Let me remind you, our source of finances is not our job. Our source of resource, it comes from the King of Kings, right? He provides. Our source of healing is not a doctor. God uses doctors, but our source of healing comes from Jehovah Rophe, our healer. 
right? Our source of peace doesn't come from a certain number in our bank account. It comes from knowing the peace of peace. And so it is with our strength. Our source of strength is not just sleeping and eating good and good exercise. Those things help. But if you live on the same planet I live on around the same crazy Americans that I live with in St. Louis, you're going to need the strength that only comes from Jesus. If you had my kids, <laughs> right, I got good kids, I got good kids, but they test your patience. There comes a point I'll often say to my wife, you know, coming home from a day's work and she'll say, what's up? And she's so happy, ready to talk. And I'm like, I'm done. Come on, any done Christians, you get there. Oh, just help me feel like I'm not a Satanist today, all right? <laughs> right, we get done. We come to the end of our strength. I'm D-O-N-E, done sometimes. So what do we do? People that are living on mission don't stay there empty. We say, God, I need your strength. Help me to be the dad I need to be. Help me, give me the strength to be the pastor I need to be or the, whatever, the businessman I need to be, the teacher I need to be, the mother I need to be, whatever it is. And, and what happens is, here's what, here's what I know. It just takes a moment to reach out to God for his strength. Come on, we humble ourselves under his mighty hand, and what does he do? He lifts us up. He gives us the strength that we need. Number four, they're dedicated to significance. Verse five, that second part says, they have their hearts set on pilgrimage, or they've set their hearts on pilgrimage. What this means is a pilgrimage is like that big road trip. You know, you're driving to the beach or something like that. You're driving to somewhere beautiful, significant. What makes it worth all the headache of the car ride is the destination. And the, what this is saying is we don't have our hearts necessarily set on a destination, but on a journey of significance. I know I don't just have my eyes on planet earth and this earth rewards. I've got to have one eye on heaven and one eye on earth because I'm not just living for today. I'm a pilgrim passing through this world on my way to somewhere significant. And I'm believing for significant things for my family, for my church, right? It's not that it's all eternity, but some of it's down here on planet earth. I thank God for your pastors. One of their great attributes is vision, that they've got their hearts on taking the well somewhere significant. If you're new to this church, get ready. I was here a year and a half ago for a, a vision night, and Pastor Jason just kept reading. I had the paper. The font was so small to fit it all in the paper, I could hardly read all the vision, the organizations we want to give to and partner with for single moms and those that are abused and uh, to help people that are facing an abortion and missions organization, feeding organizations and other locations of our church. I was, I was exhausted for you. I'll tell you what, it's better to have pastors that have their hearts set on pilgrimage to going somewhere than a pastor is like, I don't know, we're going to pray this week. Yeah, we're going to have church next week. No, no, no. No, we got, we got table groups. We got youth group. We got awesome kids ministry. We got weekend gatherings. We got to reach the lost. We got missions trips. Like, it's just going to keep on coming because that's, that's who God made your pastors to be. It reminds me of the spirit that David had in 2 Chronicles 2, verse 5. He said, the temple I'm going to build will be great. Why? Because our God is greater than all the other gods. Your, your pastors have that. Our king is the best king of all the kings. And because Jesus has been so good, we're going to build something significant for Jesus. Come on, never make your pastors apologize for wanting to build something great. I think about, you know, this town and you pull on the property and, and you know, what, what kind of church could be in a strip mall, in a shopping center? 
Like, what, what, what did my friend invite me to? What kind of church is this? How, how many of you were like that your first time? Like, this is bizarre. What, do we go shopping after church? You know, like. But then you find out the significance. And you got people outside sweating, greeting you in the parking lot, helping you get parked and welcoming you. And people offering you something to drink and people handing out Bibles to people that don't have it. And kids ministry have, I mean, the kids rooms are better than any daycare room. Like first class facility. You come in, there's coffee and there's life and there's music and there's joy. There's grace, there's truth. It's like, oh, this is something special. It's not the shopping center. Come on. You can build your temple, Salt Lake City. Oh, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I want to get invited back. We'll get off that. Get off that. Get off that. How many know the church is not a building? It's the people of God. It's the people of God. People of God. All right, number five. Number five. They refuse to get stuck in a season. Psalm 84, verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca. I want to talk to you today if you've built your house in a valley of where there's no water, there's only scorching sun, God says this, you don't need to stay there. Some of you have gotten stuck in a place of unforgiveness. Someone wronged you, they did. Someone betrayed you, they did. But you don't have to build your house in that place. You can live through it, you can make it through to the other side. For some of us, it's success. We're still talking about the successes we had back then, the titles we had back then, and it's preventing us from becoming who God needs me to be today. We're stuck in our victories. All right, Tom, we know you were an awesome high school athlete. That was 27 years ago. <laughs> we're funny, aren't we? Like You can't even touch your toes now, Tom. You know, <laughs> Come on, Tom. God's got more victories for today. It's so easy to get stuck though, isn't it? We're humans, it's easy. I know this from experience, my own life. God closes a door, it's like, okay, God. Well, that was awesome. There comes a point though, you have to start, maybe even tell people, look, we're done talking about those years. God's got something new for today. And I want what he has for me today. I wanna be in this season with God, amen? They say about husbands, Wives, I'm so sorry, but they say about husbands that their fashion for the rest of their life, it ends with the year that they got married. You got married in 2004, they're still dressing like 2004. They're going to buckle. They love buckle. It's buckle. It's going to be buckle for the next 40, 50 years. You, they had those brown shoes. They're buying the same. Come on, wives. Wives are like, yep, they're looking over today. Oh, we're funny as humans. It's so easy to get stuck. Let me encourage you, don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. Here's the awesome thing about our God. He doesn't, he doesn't write new chapters. He writes new books. He doesn't give second chances. Maybe you've heard that. That's wrong. That's bad theology. He's a God of new beginnings. It's not a second chance. The world gives second chances sometimes. Jesus gives us something better, new beginnings. Old things have what? Passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Maybe you need to step into that today. Just a couple more real quick. Number six, they have an ownership mentality and they make it happen. 
as they pass through the valley of Baca, verse 6 says, they make it a place of springs. The dry place they bring water to. They bring life for other people. The autumn rains cover it with pools. The ownership mentality, making it happen, that kind of thinking is, I'm not going to wait on everybody else to bring heaven to earth. God put me here as his kid, and I'm a change agent while I'm on the planet. You're a leader. You're not a follower. You're a king's kid. You're supposed to walk in that royal authority while you're on earth. I've, I try to remind my church often, like a thermo, thermometer and a thermostat, big difference. Thermometer tells you what temperature is in the room. Okay, anybody can tell us when there's a bad thing happening. Leaders know the bad thing and they change it. It's hot in here. I'm a thermostat. I can change it and make it cooler and more comfortable for people. How's that play out in our lives? We encounter racism on our job. We say, hold up a second. We're not racist here at this company. We, we, we treat everyone the same regardless of their skin color. I'm sorry you weren't aware of that, but now you are. We find one environment. We don't accept it the way it is. We go into a negative break room. Everybody's talking bad about the boss. We say, you know what? Our boss isn't perfect, but I would appreciate if you'd stop talking bad about them. They actually care about us and they're doing their best and they're human. So I'd appreciate, what do we do? We encounter negativity and we change it. We find poverty. We don't accept poverty. We don't accept the poverty spirit. We know God loves his kids. He wants to bless his kids in such a way that they wouldn't just be worried about paying their bills, but they get their focus off themselves and start being a blessing to someone else. And so when we find poverty, we don't just leave people like that. We begin to say, hey, I, I see you're maybe struggling your finances. You've asked for prayer five times for that at life group or table group. I want to help you. I know some principles from God's word that have helped me and my family. What do we do? We, we, we convert it. We make it a place of springs. We take ownership of the problems. The last ones, number seven, they, they are growing progressively stronger. Verse seven says, they go from strength to strength. We go from glory to glory. And if you're a new Christian, I just want to tell you, it's kind of not true. Because in between there is difficulty. No, it's true. You go from strength to strength, but how do you get stronger at the gym? By resistance. So it's true. We go from strength to strength and glory to glory with some working out in between. I remember when I got saved, the pastor's, invited us to stand up. If you want to give Jesus your life, accept his future. It sounded good. He said, God is going to change your whole future. He just forgot to tell me it would take years. How I many know you got a lot of stinking thinking? It takes a long time to get it reprogrammed. Anybody else still working on your mind? Right? He just didn't tell me all the details. But now I look up many years later and I'm like, okay. I'm not where I, where I want to be, but I'm not where I could be. And I'm definitely not where God found me. Okay, I'm stronger. Okay, I'm still working on some things, devil. Shut your mouth, right? Okay, God knows I'm a work in progress, but okay, I could be in a far worse place, but because of God's grace, I'm much stronger now. I'm going from strength to strength. I, I'm going to move forward. I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church that loved this passage, Isaiah 10, 27. 
in the King James, it says the anointing will break the yoke of bondage. And the Pentecostals didn't read the whole verse. How many know Pentecostals were good at the spirit, but not the word? It's kind of funny. It's actually, it's not what it says. It's actually a farming illustration of a farmer that's using oxen to plow. And he has that oxen's strength under bondage with a yoke, a big wooden board across its neck. And then it comes down under its neck and the farmer can control it. God says, I don't want my kids to live that way. And here's what the verse actually says. It shall come to pass in that day that this burden, his burden shall depart from off your shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed by reason of fatness or strength. Meaning that this oxen, it didn't happen overnight that things broke off that life. It happened that that oxen was plowing in the field, doing what it was supposed to do. It was eating the grain. It was eating the grass. It continued to plow. And yeah, it went back to the stall and it slept at night. And then it, it got back up and did what the farmer said to do. And it plowed and it ate and it, and it kept going. For some of you, you're just in that beginning part. For others, you're much further along in the strength of the neck. I know for me, it didn't happen like I thought. Oh, I came to that altar and I prayed and it's all going to change. And it didn't. But here's what has changed. As I continue to get in God's word and memorize God's word and meditate on God's word, as I went to my table talk and as I begin to serve the middle schoolers, and I begin to serve in Pacific prison, as I, as I begin to go on missions trips, as I begin to say yes to help solo moms, as I would get in the altar. Some Sundays our pastor would say, if you need to come to the altar and seek the Lord, I'd be like, if I go, people will think something's messed up with me. And I'm like, you are messed up. <laughs> But as I begin to seek God in the altar, as I begin to talk to pastors and have counseling meetings and devotions with, you know, uh, the Bible studies with my pastors, I look up all these years later, I'm like, okay, it was destroyed by reason of fatness. It didn't happen overnight. It happened because I got committed to be on mission, the same mission that Jesus came for. Come on, and when you do that, that's what'll happen. Yeah, come on, we can thank God for his word today. That's what'll happen for you. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that it gives light to our eyes spiritually to see. May it be like Jeremiah that said, your word is like a jackhammer. Your word is like a sledgehammer, and it's beating against the, the things, the hardness in our heart, God. Lord, where you need to move today in our hearts, we give you room and liberty to move today. Come on, if you're that person, you're stuck in a season. You're like, Dan, you're preaching to me today. Would you just reach up a hand to God today? Come on, he wants to get you out of that season today. Many people this morning. If you're watching online, doesn't matter where you are, reach up to him today. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that this valley will not be the defining moment in their life. The bitterness, the anger, the resentment, the hurt, whatever it is, the loss, the tragedy, it will not define their future. We, we declare a new day in Jesus Christ. Old things are passed away. That's done. We have the funeral today and we move on in Jesus. Come on, it's time to move on in Jesus. If you raise your hand, just say, I'm moving on in Jesus' name. I'm converting it. I'm going to take what the enemy meant for evil. I'm working it for good in Jesus' name. Maybe you're one of those people that you need strength today. Say, Dan, I'm, I'm D-O-N-E. I'm, I'm in that season. I'm done. Come on, just reach up to him right now. In just a moment. Come on, just like Samson, he prayed, Lord, fill me with your strength one more time. Lord, we thank you that you renew our strength, Lord. You lift us up like, like on wings as eagles. You said even the young people grow tired and weary. And so, Lord, we turn to you. Just say, Lord, I need your strength right now. I need your strength. I need your strength. I need your strength. Thank you, Lord, for fresh strength.
fresh wind, Lord, fresh fire in our hearts, God. Mm, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If the Lord's dealing with you, one of the other things today, just, just do a little business with God today. You love us enough not to leave us the same. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We embrace your correction, your discipline. We know you love us, God. Thank you, Lord. If we could just stay right here in this atmosphere of prayer today, I want to give you the chance to make things right with God. Maybe you came today seeking Jesus and you want to know him. You want to become a Christian. You, you made the right decision to come to God's house. I want to help you take a next step. I'm going to lead us in a simple but powerful prayer, a prayer of new beginnings. You say, Dan, how do I know if I need to be in this prayer included? Number one, you just say, I know things are not right between me and God. I've got a pile of sin, things I've done wrong that I know God's not happy with. Okay, good. God can wipe away your sin. How do you know you need to be included? Maybe you've walked away from God at one point. You used to walk with Him. You need to come back today. You need to come back today. He's not mad at you. He's ready to receive you back today. Say, Dan, what do I need to do? Well, the Bible says you have to repent. That's the first thing. That word repent comes from the same word we get penthouse from. It means to go back, to re, to go back to the highest place. See, the enemy will come to push you down. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life, life more abundantly. Jesus comes to lift you up as you repent. You turn to him. You turn away from this world and you turn to Jesus. And you acknowledge, I need a Savior. And then you put your faith in him. The Bible says, as you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's not a question mark. Saved from your sin. Saved from shame. Saved from eternal separation from God in hell. And saved to eternal life. So if you need to be included, I'm not going to play around today. Just real quickly, if you say, Dan, I need to be included in this prayer, would you just reach up a hand right now? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Many hands. Hold up real high. I don't want to miss one person today. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight. God bless you. Say, why do you count? We count people because people count. Because every one of you, you're not a number. You're a name in heaven. Would you just bow your heads all across this room? And before the pastor comes, I would love for you to just pray all together out loud. We don't want anyone of these 28 to feel alone as they come to Jesus. So just pray it out loud with me today. Say, dear Jesus, I invite you in my life. I need you to save me. I repent and I turn away from my sin, and I receive forgiveness by your amazing grace. Thank you for loving me, and help me to know you as I put my trust in you. I receive eternal life and all the good things that you have planned for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church. We ought to celebrate. Go nuts today. God bless.